Well, as many of you are aware, we've been going through the book of Colossians last time. We put a pause to it and we started a new series called Church Life, Church Life Series. And by way of introduction, I want to tell us all that from the very beginning, I just want to say we, we don't have to belong to a church. We don't have to commit to a group of Christians. Anyone can come anytime they like to the gathering as much as they want to enjoy it and then leave and go somewhere else. Um, and you don't have to have any degree of commitment to any group of Christians. That is, if we do not care about what our Heavenly Father says, regarding how we ought to live our Christian lives. Okay? Do we get that? So people thinking, what, where, where is he heading with this? If we don't care about living an obedient, holy life, if the joy of the Lord is not so important for us, It doesn't matter the degree of commitment we have. But if we do care, then commitment to a local church is absolutely necessary to chain your heart to a group of Christians, as it were, is not an option. In fact, I titled this message, Commitment to the Local Church is Not an Option. And so, today, I want to lovingly make it clear to all of us that the only way to live our Christian life according to the Scripture is confined within your commitment to the local church, your growth in your love for God. Your joy in God hinges upon finding a good, biblically founded church, and then you lay down your lives to the brethren who are part of this community. This is how God is intending for each one of us to live. In knowing Him, your commitment to local church is not an option. And before we run ahead of ourselves, I just want to first define what is a local church and then give some, some of countless reasons of why. There are compelling reasons why we've got to commit to a local church. Now, what is a local church? The scripture gives us two different types of churches. First, there's this invisible church, and you know, invisible, invisible church is made up of all Christians, all the redeemed saints of God throughout history that put their trust in Jesus Christ. That is the invisible church. And then you've got the local church. 
which is a specific group of Christians that regularly meet, observing the Lord's ordinances together regularly, and being shepherded by qualified Bible-believing mature elders. Now let's begin with maybe a couple of controversial questions. Now one might say, that's okay, I get it, I get it. There are local churches in the scripture, I understand that. I gotta read the Bible myself, that's fine. But why do I have to commit to one local church? I mean, all believers in the invisible church are my brothers and sisters, right? Am I not meant to love them the same way I love the believers in this local community and enjoy fellowshipping with other believers just like I enjoy fellowshipping with people in this gathering? Why not? Try to say that to your wife, right? Say to your wife, Honey, you know I love you. I do, I really do. But you know, the Bible also says you've got to love all believers with unconditional love. So, honey, I just want to let you know that I love all women the same way I love you. How would that pan out for you, brothers? You'd be in big trouble if you said that, all right? Be sleeping in the garage, that's if... You're really married to an angel from heaven, right? You know it's wrong. Do you know the moment you have become a Christian? You've been enlisted automatically as a soldier in God's army. Where we have one commander-in-chief who's Jesus Christ, right? Think of local churches as units, clusters of soldiers. Grouped together. Now, what do you think if you go to your commander-in-chief and say to him, Sir, since every soldier in his army is pretty much in the same team, I'm sure you wouldn't mind if I just jump from one unit of soldiers to another unit. What do you think the commander-in-chief would say to you? You're crazy. Because, you know, just because all the soldiers are in the same army and they're all co-equal, right? It does not mean you can jump from one unit to another. That is not how you win any war, soldiers. You need to commit to a local church, a specific one, because that's how your commander-in-chief ordained you to be part of. Now, you might say, well, very well, okay, I get this, but why is that? Why, why is this the case? Why is it commitment to a one specific local church is not an option? For today, I want to give you three reasons why, all right? Like I said, there are countless of reasons. I'll give you three reasons why. 
Number one is to ensure that you are saved. To ensure that you're born again. Our commitment to a local church validates or falsifies our claims if we're truly, truly, really born again. Now, we understand that the gospel that saves is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and we praise God for that. Amen? Nothing else. You don't need to do one bit of good works in order to, to earn your salvation. It is gifted to you freely because of the death of a Savior on the cross. Amen? Praise God. But how do you really know that you're regenerated? How do you know if you're truly born again? Because you say, I've been a Christian for so many years. Because you've been dunk in the water? No. Please turn to Matthew 7. We'll go, we'll go through several pa passages in the scripture today. One of them, Matthew 7, verse 22 and verse 23. If you would ask me where the most terrifying passage in the Bible is, I'm telling you there are a few passages in the scripture that will be far more terrifying than this one. I've been a Christian for over uh, 25, close to 30 years of my life. And I can tell you still till today, no other scripture gives me sleepless nights and grief over people in the church, in the community, more than this passage. Matthew 7. And Jesus Christ himself says this. 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Have you paid attention who these people were? They're not atheists. They're not Muslims. They call Jesus what? Lord, Lord. And they worked tirelessly for him, right? But they never examined their salvation. They never assessed if they were truly saved. How do you do that? How? How do you obey the command by, written by Paul when he says, examine your salvation, whether you're truly saved, whether you are in the faith, he says. How do you do that? You do it this way. By getting involved, committing to a local church. That is essentially how you do it. How do we, where do we see this? Please turn to 1 John Chapter 3, and we're reading verses 14 to 16. 1 John 3. Now, 
We know that 1 John is an epistle, it's a letter that is written particularly to tell us how we have assurance of salvation. And at the same time, the opposite is true. It's how to falsify it. What does that mean? It means how to expose false conversion. You go to 1 John. Look what he says. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We know. We are sure that we pass from death to life. What does that mean? It means that we know, we are sure that we are saved. How? How do you tell, John? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for who? My wife. Unbelievers can do that too. My children. You've got to be the most wicked unbeliever if you don't lay down your life for, for your child. That would agree with you. But you know what thing, one thing that won't agree with you on? To lay down your life for who? The brethren. You know what, if you continue keeping reading, but you don't have to do that because it's all the way down to chapter 4, verse 20. John even clearly says to us, he says this, if, John, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Think about it. What kind of gospel that would allow us to accept it if we're not committed in this Christ-like manner, in loving our brethren? If you say you love God and you do not love your brother, it doesn't matter if you're part of the music team or you claim you're a Christian since... The dinosaurs era. Doesn't matter. If you do not have this life, if your life is not marked by loving the brethren, I want to be lovingly truthful to you. If you do not love the brethren, the word of God has no encouragement for you to think that you're a Christian. None whatsoever. Do you want to know that this life that you claim you have in Christ is true, is real? This is how you can know it. I've got a great idea for you, and it's from the Scripture. You know what you do? You commit yourself to a local group of safe sinners. You do that. You love them. Not for days, not for weeks, not by sending an, a text or SMS with a... a, a an emoji of a love heart, and you say, I love you. But you stick to them like glue for years, and you lay down your life for them. 
That's how you're going to find out if you're truly a Christian. And also the people around you will know. They will know. Again, this won't save you. It's only through the death of Jesus Christ you're saved. He is and only him alone is our righteousness. But if he's truly your righteousness, if you truly claim that you love him, how can you do that if you do not love his people? That's the point that John is making. You commit to a local church because that's how you really know if you're truly saved. Second, why is it committing to a local church is not an option? Let me tell you why. The second reason, it is to avoid your self-deception. Christian, how to know that you're not self-deceived? Please turn to Hebrews 3 verse 13. Hebrews 3, verse 13, how do you search for deceitful sins that creep into your life? You know, as you're flicking those pages, I want to say to you, you know, nothing robs us from the joy of the Lord and fills our heart with anxiety more than subtle sins. Big fat sins, we walk away. No problem. But it is subtle sins. Meaning, when you rationalize the sly and the slimy evil passions, the fleshly passions, as something acceptable, that is what robs you from the joy of the Lord. How do you search for those fleeting pleasures in your life? How? You can't do it alone. You must know your spiritual growth, believer, is a community project. You must be convinced in your heart that this is real. It's true. It is a community project. Read the verse to you. But encourage one another. This word encourage... Some other translations, I actually prefer it better than in NSB 95... Exhort one another. I think it's an ESV, exhort. Exhort, implore, or beg, actually. Beg one another. Day after day. It tells you who and it tells you when or how often. Day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And this is a huge warning to all of us. Now, it's in specific context, this is addressing um, the false converts within a community. But in a larger, in a, in a general and wider context, it's addressing whom? Every single believer. Look at the command who it's given to. One another. It says, today, so that none of you. It's all inclusive. Now notice the progression of that warning. Can you see the progression? First it begins with sin. 
I wish I, I had my highlighter and show you this, but that can be a Tuesday night study. First, you've got sin. And then from sin, then there is deception. And after deception, there is hardening of the heart. Let's take it one at a time. Sin. What is sin? Essentially, anything that is contrary to God's will. It doesn't just necessarily have to be sex outside of marriage. Anything that is not ultimately glorifying God. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how holy and you wrap it with beautiful, nice, Christian-y words. Anything that is ultimately not unto God. Then you have deceitfulness. What does that mean? Sin lies to you. How? How does it do that? It tells you that the pleasure of the world is so much better than Jesus Christ. Your love for money, control, dignity, power, better than Jesus Christ. Deceit. And then you've got the hardening. What is hardening? Okay, that's very important to know. It's when you give yourself over to this sin, according to this verse, when you're on your own. So what do you do? Hmm. You begin to rationalize sin, don't you? You say to yourself, it's not so bad. Or you might say, nobody really understands what I'm going through. Nobody. And because there is nobody around you to warn you, guess what happens? You get harder and harder and then much harder. And so you begin to build this system of defense to convince yourself while you're going down that road of hardening, you convince yourself you're okay when actually you're not. Give you some examples so we know. You yell at your spouse and at your children, and you say, oh, This is not lustful control. I just want to have my house in order. You irregularly show up on the Lord's Day because of your work, and you say, No, 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 it's not that I. Money to me is more important to God. No, I, I just need to pay off my mortgage, take care of my family. You hardly give time to show love to the brethren. And you say, no, it's, it's not laziness. It's just that I had a long day at work. Every day, every day. For weeks, for weeks. Right? Or you're not willing to reconcile? You said, that's not, it's not because of pride or anything. No, no, no. And it's just that I didn't start this conflict. Really? Again, some of you are smiling because, brothers, you know that we're all vulnerable to this. We're all susceptible to the temptations in our flesh. 
And the more you give yourself to them, the more insensitive you become to the things of God and you become harder and harder in your way of life. And this verse stands tall like a red flag and it tells you, don't go there. It is dangerous. Don't do it. Well, what's, what's God's ordained way? To prevent this from happening. How do you short circuit the vicious cycle of self-deception? How? What does the verse say? Encourage one another. Exhort. Urge. Appeal. Entreat one another. What does that mean? You can't do it alone. You are in need of another set of eyes to be able to see in you what you cannot see, brothers. You need other hearts that love you enough to strongly urge you not to go down that road. Someone would say to you, please, brother, we beg you. We get on our knees and plead with you. Repent from this laziness of yours that is hindering you from coming to see the brethren. Repent of your love for money or whatever it is. And how often does this scripture that commands us to do it? What does it say? Every day. Daily. That's how easily we can get succumbed to the deceitfulness of sin. And if sin deceives you by telling you that, that it's more pleasurable than to live for Christ and His promises, then guess what this encouragement, biblical encouragement would be? The exact opposite. That you need to be reminded that Christ is better than money. His promises are greater than all the treasures in the earth. You need to be reminded that your joy in gazing upon your Lord and Savior and the power of Christ is so much infinitely better than the lust for control. Right? Now who's going to be able to tell you this and remind you of these things? The world? The media? Your unbelieving spouse? A superficial Christian friend that you only meet every now and a while? A Viber text? To get deep into your life and tell you what you need to hear? Brothers, the only way for you to have this level of accountability that you're in need of is when you're committed to a local church, right? Don't you want to be sure that you're truly converted? Don't you want to make sure that your heart is tender and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And don't you want to be reminded of how precious your Savior is? Don't you? You do, right? And committing to a local church is not an option. Right? 
Third, why is it committing to local churches not an option? Because that's the only place where you can actually obey the one another commands. So much to be said about this, so much. But let's have a look at First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It's one of the one another commands. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, some years back, I was leading a Bible study to a group of believers. Now, most of them were committed to a local church, but there was one elderly lady that only attended two hours a week. She just comes in, hears a message and walks away. Nobody knew anything about her. Nothing at all. And it just happened that on that day when I was attending, when I was leading this Bible study, she came and um, I read this verse. Let me read it again. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. And then I asked this just general question. How are you going with obeying his command? Well, those who were committed. Guess how they felt when I, when I heard this and I started soul searching. Heads were tilted forward. And there was that sense of, Man, I'm struggling with this. So, how are you going, brothers and sisters? Just in grace. So it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> but then this elderly lady, she breaks the silence, and then she would say, "Why do you guys say it's hard to love the brethren? Of course, it's easy." It's our brothers and sisters. And I, I thought I'd just explain to her. Well, keeping fervent love means, and I, I asked her these questions. Do you love them? Wow, it's so easy for you to love your brethren. Wow. Does that mean you invite brothers into your house? Are you sharing your struggles with them? When was the last time you wept with those who are weeping and you rejoiced from your heart with those who are rejoicing? Apart from viper texts. When was the last time somebody wanted to come and lean on your shoulders and shared with you his struggle and, and you gave him a word of encouragement to keep fighting the good fight of faith? And he brought his eyes and set him upon Christ. I can sum it up in one question. Are you committed to a local church? Because that's what it really is. And if not, how are you following this command? Isn't it true that it's so easy to love the brethren that you're not committed to? Right? That's the whole point. But that wouldn't be the supernatural love that God tells you to have. To, to love without commitment is not 
so much different from the worldly kind of love. Hey, you don't need to lean upon Christ or sap into his powerful supernatural strength to cultivate that kind of love where there is no commitment. But that's a counterfeit kind of love. It's not biblical. There has to be commitment in order to fervently love one another, don't you think? In fact, all one another commandments in the Bible can only be obeyed in the context of a being committed to a local church because precisely that were written to local churches. Let me read to you some of those one another commands and you tell me which one doesn't really require commitment. Not two hours a, day, a week, but real true commitment to one another. Yeah, I'll, I'll share them with you, and I'll give you the references later if you like. Love one another. Care for one another. Regard one another as more important than oneself. Encourage one another. Live in harmony with one another. Serve one another. Admonish one another. Speak truth to one another. Forgive one another. The implication is you lived long enough to be sinned again and still sin towards, and now you've got to forgive. And there has to be reconciliation. Be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be hospitable to one another. Which out of these commands can you obey if you only reduce your commitment to two hours a week? How do you intimately know the brothers in that depth without truly committing to the local church when either you're floating from one church to another and, uh, or, or perhaps you hardly show up or you only show up for a couple of hours? You can't. You can't. That's not what the Scripture teaches. It's hard truth, but it's truth nonetheless, brothers. And we need to speak up in order to deal with whatever sin in our hearts, right? We don't want to play church. And in one day, we give our last breath. And our heart stops beating and all of a sudden we stand before God Almighty. We say, God... Didn't know. We don't want to do this. Well, in conclusion, I just want to say a few things. I just want to help to assess why is it people do this. And then after that, I want to give some practical, frequently asked questions. Some nitty-gritty, we need to hear them in the context of this message. You know, many Christians today, they... They think that the gospel that saves us, it just brings us to Christ and it leaves us there. That's it. And so they think they can get to choose to live out their Christian lives with whoever they like 
and they hang out with whoever they wish to hang out with. And so what do they do? They, they attend the worship service at 10.30 in the morning because they like the preaching of God's word in that church. And then on Tuesday night, they attend the Bible study with a different group of people because they like the teaching in that Sunday, on, Saturday, on Tuesday night. And then on Friday night, there is a con- Christian concert here, a Christian concert there, and we'll go, we attend there because they like the singing over at the concert. And then the idea to fundamentally be committed to one congregation is foreign to them. And why do they do this? Because they want to have no responsibility. For the most part, They fear to open their hearts to the saints of God. Why? One reason might be because if they open their heart and they are let down, and they will be let down, right? The level of immaturity will be exposed. And they don't like that very much. Because they want to be seen as holy people. Number two. Because most, probably, they are scared that if they commit, that they may realize that they're not Christians. I'm just sharing with you what I know, what people go through, and trying to keep it biblical. Or another reason why, and probably that's one of the most given reasons why people are not willing to commit to one local church, is because of this. And I'm speaking directly to your heart in the name of God that we are believing in and we are worshipping. I'll tell you why. Because they know that what their idols that they cherish the most will be challenged and will be threatened. Selfishness, self-idolatry, self-preservation will be challenged. So what do they say? Say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be committed to a local church. So rather, what do they do? They redefine the Christian life that Jesus wants them to live. And how do they do that? They twist God's word little by little. They suppress the clear commands in the scripture. All the one another commands, they trample over them or they redefine them. Just like they're our atheist friends. They, say, they would say, um, Local church doesn't really exist. Or, or I don't have to be committed to that local church. So what are you committing to? Oh, I'm committing to Jesus. Oh, what about Jesus' people? Oh, no, no, I'm committed to the invisible church. I, I prefer to love my invisible believers, brothers and sisters. I I like to confess my sins to invisible saints. 
and I live out the Christian lives in an invisible way to the point that nobody really knows if they're even saved in the first place. And do you know what the catastrophic outcome would be? That even if they were truly born again, even if they were saved, the love for God, their joy in the Lord would be so invisible since they're only given to commit to invisible church. And their holiness is compromised. And there is no strength to wrestle against the power of darkness and their effectiveness for Jesus and the gospel will be like trying to put down the fire of hell with the water pistol. <laughs> it's gone. Lack of commitment to the local church will lead to three things. Number one, the church will be filled with false conversions. Number two, legalism and lawlessness will go unchallenged because there are no members to challenge you. And number three, the inevitable will happen. You will grow cold in your love for the Lord. Well, I've got some FAQ, frequently asked questions. Just some thoughts in our mind. Normally we do this on Sunday evening and we will continue to do that. But I just want to bring it to our forefront. Tiredness. We live in a fallen world and we get tired all the time. What if I'm really tired and I just find it hard to commit to a local church, local gathering? Are you really tired? Are you really, really tired? Now, nobody knows your heart except God, God alone. And God forbid that, that we become legalistic church. You know what I mean by legalistic external judgment of people, not against the scripture, especially that we don't know the severity of your exhaustion. And we certainly don't want you to pretend that you commit to a local church when in actual fact you're not willing. Just force you and transform you to become a man pleaser. We don't want to do that. So in the part of your brethren, we must not judge. Rather, when somebody says he's tired, we sympathize with that person. However, in your part, I want to give you something to reflect on. Brothers, when you say you're tired, do you know when, when you come, while you are exhausted and tired, do you know what you're communicating to the brethren? Do you know there's a great opportunity for you to encourage your brothers? Because you know what you're telling them? When you are exhausted and people know that you're exhausted and yet you still come, you know what you're telling them? You are telling them this. Jesus is far more important than my bodily exhaustion. How are you encouraging the brethren to grow in their love for the Lord when you don't commit because you're saying, I'm exhausted. 
Think of Paul, the apostle. I don't think he was feeling the best when he was crossing over seas and shipwrecked and being stoned. Imagine if he comes up to you, brother, and he says to you, Hey, how come are you going with your commitment to the body of Christ? Imagine you say to him, Well, I'm just a little tired, so I'm not really committed to the body of Christ. And you look at him and he's got torn clothes, stoned, so bleeding and bruised. And Sorry, you, you're not committing to the body of Christ because you're tired? Brothers, rather, I want to encourage you. I want to biblically exhort you. I want to tell you if you're tired. Speak to yourself. Speak to your soul. Say, hey, Jesus was tired too when he was hung on that tree to save me. Hey, but that did not stop him from going all the way. Right? Is he not worthy of me honoring him even when my, with my bodily exhaustion? So if you're tired, let me tell you. Let me wrap it up so you understand what I mean. You're not judged. It's not a sin if, you, if you're not committed in that sense. Fine. But how edifying would it be to hear your spiritual family saying, Hey, this sister, even though she's so sick, she's so ex exhausted, but look how she's so hungry for the Word of God. Look how much she's so eager to know her Savior. How? Look how she's committed to the body of Christ. Even now when her energy is depleted. How much of a great testimony would it be, brothers, if, when, when people look at you and seeing a woman or a man who's so exhausted, and yet they see God working in your life in the way you're committed. To the local church. Ah, oh, but um, but I really, really can't come. It's like not really kind of tired, but real exhaustion, where I, I just can't commit, or my my eyesight is gone, and I can't really drive. I, I'm an elderly, and I really sympathize with you. Really sympathize with you in that category. If you're in that category, where you really, it's impossible for you to commit as much as you should. But what does that mean? How do we respond to this? Well, number one, be encouraged, brother. It's not like God would abandon you because you, your physical limitation not allowing you to be committed to the local church god still loves you if you if you're one of his but when the sin is so subtle and it creeps into your life guess that sin that is so subtle who does it deceive first it is you even though you can't make it. 
sin still deceives you? Who will love you enough to warn you? If you're not committed, even because of a legitimate reason. Or, or, or do we think that the devil is going to play a fair game? Our war is against spiritual principalities and powers and authorities, not against flesh and blood. And the devil never plays a fair game. But you know what the devil will say? You know what the wolves say when they see, when they see a flock in that kind of condition? That would say, the wolf would say, Quickly, where's the salt and pepper? Why? Oh, my, my dinner is ready. How come? Oh, this sheep is isolated. It's away from the rest of the flock. And the wolf would run after it to devour it. No matter how sincere believers are, if they're isolating themselves from the local church, they'll become an easy target for Satan, and their growth will be compromised. It's the reality that we live in. It is what it is. You see, would you agree with me? It's what the Scripture says, that to grow as a healthy Christian, you must love the brethren. You must be cared for and to care for the brethren. And they must watch over you. If that is true, then commitment to the local church is the main meal. Everything else is a snack. Now you judge, brothers and sisters, how much growth in your life can you have if you rely mostly on snacks, but you're not worried about the main meal, whether it's a legitimate or illegitimate reason. Oh, how we need one another. I've got a couple of more, and we're done. What about if I've got to relocate away because of education or my job? Just, just for a few years, that's all. What, do you, what about that? Well, I want to ask you a question, brothers. How long does it take for you to sin? Do you premeditate for years before you fall into sin? No. Sin usually just creeps on us and bang, we're, we're given to it. That's the nature of sin. So you should know yourself better, brothers and sisters. And when sin takes hold on you, sometimes it can take years before you can um, undo the mess it made. So if you're thinking about going to relocate, well, think about how you're going to be connected to a local church, a good local church. Oh, well, you, you might consider that you need to have a different job to pursue. You might ask yourself those questions. Where would that job take me? What would that job require of me? Will this job require for me to function in a debilitated way within that local community of believers? If you relocate, 
think hard and pray harder and seek counsel from other godly men. Don't be impulsive. Don't say, oh, great, there is my, this work will give me more money. Great. I'll go for it. Brothers, there are far more important things that you need to consider if you're a Christian. It might be a good school for your kids. It might be near a beach. But is it near a good church? What matters most in your life? You know, when you make a big decision in your life, the first thing that ought to come into your mind, hey, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. How will this decision impact your relationship with him? Right? Talk to people about it. You go and you commit to a a work or schooling or whatever, and you haven't thought about a good church and how close you are to that local church, and you'll find yourself, you're gambling with your spiritual life and the life of your family. You should think about this. You should think about saying, "Ah, look, uh, I don't want to compromise my godly walk with God. I need to belong to a community of people. I need my family to belong to a community of Christians. I don't want to compromise that. And based on that, think carefully where you want to live. Not the other way around. So when you decide to live, brothers, don't don't just quickly go buy a property and then think, well, where is the local church around this property? Try your best to buy or rent a house that is not too far away from the brethren where you can be involved in your lives in a very practical and easy way because you'll be more accessible. And the more accessible you are, the more useful you will be. And the more blessing you will be to those brothers. So let's say there's a family that wants to join our church and, and, and they live far away from the body of Christ. Is it going to be harder for them or easier to, to be useful? In edifying them and them being edified. Think about these brothers. Now, I'm not saying this to shame us or to make us feel intimidated or angry, but I just want to give some biblical truth, practical truth that we need to assess our lives against. Friends, brothers, if you try to be to grow in your Christian walk at all, you know that Christian life cannot be lived alone. You can't do it on your own. God has made a wonderful provision for you called the church. This is where the richness of God and the intimacy with God is mostly enjoyed. Church is a foretaste of heaven. Church is where the reflection of God's love will be mostly manifested. That is exactly how God wants us to worship Him by committing to other like-minded believers. 
last thought. Keep it there. And you need to get this. Some people think, all oh, right, you know, of course, we've got to join hand to hand because, you know, when, when you have uh, this little bit of strength, this little bit of strength, this little bit of strength, they get together, become such a powerful community of people to worship God. This is a philosophy of the world. This is not true. Sounds clever, sounds reasonable, but it's not. That's not what the scripture says. You know what the scripture says? How we become strong when we're together? This is what the scripture actually says. You're a weak brother. You're another weak brother. You're a brother with a broken heart. You're a sister with a broken spirit. And by you joining together, God is pleased with you. And when God is pleased with us, saying, even though I'm weak and she's weak and he's weak and we're together, guess what happens? God in his pleasure moves in and through us in such a super powerful and natural way that cannot be explained to the world. And through this unity, though there may not be much earthly comfort, but through this unity, because God is pleased, Christ will be honored. And that's all that counts, brothers. Christ to be honored. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the church. We thank you for this blessing. Who of us would be worthy to be added to the church? No one is worthy, Lord. Thank you for our dear brothers and sisters. May our unity be purposeful. May your son Jesus be so magnified in our commitment to this local church. Amen.